All right. What's up, y'all? We're back again. Welcome to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian. If you're new to the show, welcome. We love you. Uh, we want everybody here. It's always an awesome, fun time and such an awesome, great message. Yes, I said awesome a lot right there. That's okay. Um, let's get into a few announcements and ads and all the fun stuff that all of you love so much. And so, uh, first and foremost, as always, like I like to say, uh, go join the, the Libertarian Party Seafood Caucus. That is the caucus, right? So go get into that right now. Uh, we've got some big things going on over there. And uh, so, speaking of the Libertarian Party Seafood Caucus, if you look up there in the whatever part of the screen that is for you, that right there, speaking of Seafood Caucus, look at this fresh catch. Hmm. That is, believe it or not, Jack Casey, author of the Royal Green series after apparently emerging from the water during his yearly migration. He says the sea helps him think of new ideas for his fantasy novels and helps him escape from the government sometimes and that dolphins are actually growing are a growing portion of his readers. Sharks are still awaiting for the audiobook format since they can't read. So go by Jack Casey's books, the Royal Green series. He is a sponsor for Muddied Waters Media and my new boss as soon as we get going over there. So if for all other reasons you don't want to buy his book, just get it. And if your electricity goes out, you can always set it on fire so that you can have warmth for you and your family. Not really a big proponent of book burning, but I will make an exception for Jack Casey's series. That being said, you know, I'm totally kidding. That dude's brilliant, amazing, absolutely fantastic author. Please, please, please go look his book up on Amazon. Uh, it's right there. It's right there. The Royal Green Series, Jack Casey. So um, you guys know that we're joining the Muddy Waters Media. I say we, talking about the Eskimo Libertarian and myself. We will start that show a week from today. And um, that's going to be awesome. And so, yeah. Uh, we're going to be using a lot of resources for the Tunica event that I've been advertising a lot here lately. Uh, I'll be hosting that event in Tunica, Mississippi. We'll have Spike, Tasha, myself, Eskimo, Matt Wright. The whole Muddy Waters crew will be there. If we can gather the funds for it, you'll be able to find uh, some, um, what you call it, the links in the comments to be able to donate to that. And, um, Adam Kokesh will be there. We'll be doing some lives. That's going to be a bunch of fun. And we'll be donating a lot to Mercy House Teen Challenge, which is the rehabilitative center right here in Jackson, Mississippi, that I was a part of, a complete 501c3. They do not charge any students for their admission, and it is a 14-month residential program. So we'll be taking donations for that as well. Uh, you can hit me up on PayPal or Clubhouse. Uh, speaking of Clubhouse, we, or myself and uh, Libertarian Redhead, will be in Clubhouse right after this show so with that being said this phenomenal brilliant leader and activist libertarian redhead she needs no introduction at all so like we always like to say let's bring her on elaine hey how are you i'm great how are you i'm doing very well let me take this goofy picture off your screen there <laughs> I was cracking up the whole time you were reading that. That was so funny. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, actually, Jack wrote that himself. So for those of you that are wondering, yes, it is okay that we just 
absolutely obliterated him. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> humor is the best. Yeah, absolutely. I like to partake in it often. And so um, I do have a few things that I want to knock out right out of the gate. And for all of you watching in Elaine, you know as well, I am absolutely outclassed right now, as always. Uh, but I don't care. I, I like to, to, to uh, embrace my ignorance, but I'm going to say it anyway. Star Wars. Star Wars is better. Star Wars is better. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what he's talking about, um, last, not this past Friday, but the one before, I hosted a clubhouse room on Friday at noon Eastern. They're every Friday at noon Eastern. We just kind of do topic roulette. And that week we talked about Star Trek and Star Wars and which one was better and libertarian themes in both of the shows and just lots of different things. And, uh, lots of really cool people tuned in. Stephen Kent tuned in from the Al Jazeera network. He came up and spoke nice. for a little while. Justin Amash was around for 20, 30 minutes. And he was talking a lot about star Trek. I think, I think he likes that one a little bit more than star Wars. Um, and I, you know, I was in the car on my way out of town. So I, that's one of the things I love about clubhouse is that I can still, yeah. I can still host them and do them. I don't have to reschedule them because I'm in the car or on my way to go do something or, you know, working from home. I can just take my lunch break and just turn my phone on and still be available to work and do Clubhouse at the same time. So I think Clubhouse is awesome. So, yeah, we're going to be on Clubhouse afterwards. I hope you guys want to come hang out with us. Yeah, I was really wanting to uh, to get in on that uh, Star Wars Star Trek debate, even though full disclosure here, I've never watched Star Trek other than the modern movies, which I do love the modern movies, but uh, yeah, big Star Wars fan. I, I Not even a question for me right there. Yeah, the other. I love Star Wars. I think that one's definitely my favorite. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. I'm glad we're in agreement. I think you're going to agree with this one as well. Everybody badgers me about this, even though this uh, Civil War has been long gone. But I ask it always anyway, because I haven't opened the comment section, but it's probably in there. With your seafood, if you eat seafood, would you rather it bland or Cajun seasoned? Is seafood ever bland? I didn't think it was. So that's a very biased proposition, or the way I propose that there is not very fair. So the big debate, the big seafood debate, was between me and Eskimo Libertarian, and she's in Alaska, and they like to just catch their fish right out of the river. I mean, we do the same thing here, but then just cook it right over an open fire, no salt or anything like that, just straight up. And I like mine with butter, garlic, Tony Sacheries, the works. Yeah. Okay. So um, full disclosure. There's always Tony's in my spice cabinet. So maybe that's my choice. I don't know. I've Easy never had way. Alaskan seafood. I've only ever had like New England coastal seafood and Southern seafood. Like all nice. the, and of course, there's a bunch of different variations of seafood in the South. So there's Cajun seafood. And then there's, I don't know, is Old Bay. I don't think Old Bay is really considered Southern, even though <laughs> it would consider it. <laughs> No, no. The, so a lot of New Englanders, New Englanders like to give me uh, crap for for our little debates here, but uh, that absolutely is a uh, Maryland thing, Old Bay. But a lot of New Englanders use it. We use Tony's down here. I mean, or slap your mama, one or the yeah. other. Um, I think a better question would be Old Bay or Tony's, and I'd pick Tony's every time. 
I love it. Thank you very much. I didn't even have to say anything. Absolutely, Tony's. I hope New England is in the house. I'm sure that they are. They always are. So, Brian Lamar says, bro, Hal, how do you keep, even though you spelled my name wrong, man, how do you keep getting all these awesome guests? I don't know. I'm just lucky. Elaine's an awesome person. I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't take much for me to reach out to her and just be like, you know, hey, would you like to come on? but... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I didn't tell anybody that. So I'm glad you did. That'll work. <laughs> Nalik says, stop using the word bland. <laughs> I know. I got to mess with you, though. Nalik, you know, get a guest, and then you can you can spin your own seafood. That's Eskimo Libertarian. Yeah, so, I, I do know her. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's a lot more popular than me, as is pretty much everybody else around here. So, <laughs> but, um, so, uh, yeah, I had to, had to get in. To the uh, seafood debate with you. Sorry. Um, okay. the, the, and as you can see, I don't know if you can see the comments or not, but it's just full of it right now. So you are, uh, you're going to be the social media director for Natalie Bruno. Is that right? Oh, or very involved. About it. <laughs> Ooh, we, I did not mean to put that on blast. No, that's okay. Uh, Natalie and I met when we both worked for Joe. She was the marketing director and I was the social media director and I adore her. She's wonderful. Nice. I'm thrilled that she's running for office. So I just told her uh, maybe a week ago, I just said, whatever you need, just let me know. I will happily help volunteer, do, do whatever. So she, she was like, oh, you were on my list of people to talk to. You just called me first. <laughs> so that's awesome. So Natalie's watching. I mean, you got to, freaking great ally there natalie i mean you, I wow natalie. yep natalie for governor that's what he kept telling her, governor, governor. <laughs> yeah i know one of the big things that she's talking about is uh or that she's running on is is criminal justice reform as we all are you know and, and one of the big issues that that you were talking about yes she is amazing natalie <laughs> so are you so is everybody we love all y'all but um that's a big deal for me. We're still fighting it here in my state, Mississippi. We have one of the worst criminal justices over here. And uh, something that you mentioned that I hadn't thought about before. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I not really not thought about, but that I didn't expound on uh, mm -hmm. for myself personally is like that generational, um, just absolutely just over time bearing the state bearing down on you and causing that. I talk about mental health a lot. And so uh, I know you tweeted about that. Why don't you tell us exactly what it is that you mean when you talk about uh, criminal justice reform and the, the mental health side of it? So it's, I think libertarians have long been aware of, the, and, and many other people are as well that are maybe not libertarians, are aware of the psychological and mental health implications of the drug war, of throwing people in jail for victimless crimes. And I think it's pretty well established by scientific um, papers and journals and studies that most of the time, hard drug use and abuse of hard drugs is related to trauma. It's either physical trauma or emotional trauma. And that's, that's really the gateway drug is trauma. It's, it's not, it's not cannabis. It's not, you know, cocaine. It's not, none of those are really a gateway drug. The gateway drug is trauma and our criminal justice system, our school system, government programs, government policies do such a poor job of addressing that, 
that it really has just made the mass incarceration issue an epidemic. And it's been going on for so long now, and not just with the drug war, but with in other ways as well. I think um, I mentioned to you, it, poverty is a big one as well, because poverty causes trauma. Yep. And that has been going on for so many decades now that it is now causing the, the drug war and the government's response to drug war, drug policy, et cetera. It's turned into the government inflicting generational trauma onto a large percentage of the population. And that just snowballs and makes that mass incarceration problem that much worse. And it gets worse and worse with every generation because those problems never really get fixed. And they never really go back to the root, which was the trauma. And government typically doesn't solve problems that it created. So it's all just interconnected and it's something that I've become more and more aware of over the last couple of years. And I noticed that there weren't very many libertarians really talking about it from that perspective. So the more research I did, the more it disturbed me, the more it upset me um, that, that this is something that happens and that it's so common and that it's right there in front of you. And most of the time, legislators, policymakers, they don't even see it. Yeah, well, not just that. They don't understand it in the first place is what I feel like. They have no grasp of reality of what's actually going on in our societies, especially in our small communities. That's why I hate the idea of them writing law uh, that is just blanket law, especially when it comes to drug reform and drug addicts, because I'm, that's part of my big deal. And um, I know that our prisons are absolutely maxed out with drug addicts and not pedophiles and murderers. And I have a big problem with that. Right. Exactly. Um, addicts can turn into criminals very easily that commit violent crimes, but it's not necessarily the drug use that's driving it. It can be right. a lot of other things that are driving it as well. And the drug use just exacerbates it. And when you can't, I mean, the recidivism rate is so high because we don't focus on rehabilitative justice that all those problems still get worse too. And a lot of times people that have experienced extreme trauma in their life, or even just kind of a slow burn type of trauma, which is more like what poverty is because it's not one acute um, event in someone's life. It's just sort of a lifestyle. Yeah, it's chronic. It, yeah. It's, it's chronic and it builds over time. A lot of times those people don't come into contact with any mental health services until they're already in prison. That's right. Which is the worst place to try to heal your mental health because it's a very stressful environment and that's its own kind of trauma. So we have to, as individuals, as friends, as family members of people who might be experiencing trauma or experiencing, you know, pain and mental health issues, we have to do a better job of taking it upon ourselves and making it a priority in our communities to address those issues so that we don't have, so, so that we can lessen that mass incarceration. Because if, if we're going to mass incarcerate, people, I would rather it be the pedophiles and rapists and murderers and not people who are in pain and seeking relief from pain. And that is a lot of what drug use is and poverty as well. Um, just poverty is so complicated and 
it's such a big issue, just like the drug war is. Um, but I think people are more familiar with the trauma that goes along with the drug war and not as familiar or not as familiar of the line of thinking that poverty is its own kind of trauma and all the things that go along with that. Mm. Um, and that affects, that affects everyone. It affects every community and it is especially hard on children. And that's really when trauma can be the most painful and that will stick with a child their whole life. So a child that experiences that before the age of 18 is more likely to come into contact with the criminal justice system when they're in their 20s and 30s than they are if they didn't have that experience in their childhood. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with what you're saying right now. My biggest issue, and I think, I guess, with the whole liberty movement, really, um, is how do we get your voice out there? How do we get that messaging and that science and that data, those analytics that you're talking about right there? How do we get that to the general public? We have to talk about it. We have to remove the stigma of mental health being negative or making making mm. it seem like someone is weak for having a problem or having an issue and instead just be more loving and be more compassionate with those people because that's really all they want. And that's really the only thing that's going to fix it is if you can have compassion for those people that are struggling and help them or enable them to find help. I mean, nobody really fixes themselves unless they're ready to. So that can be hard because there's usually a waiting period. Like not everybody's ready to fix themselves. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to come to grips with when it's somebody that you care about and you just think you can do better. Like you can, you can fix this. I know you can. And they're just not ready to let go of that yet. They're not ready to face all of those things and deal with them and then move on with their life. So it, there's a struggle there with, you know, trying to get people who need help, the help, and then also enabling them to accept it without feeling shame or guilt or like they can't handle it or like they're just going to fail. Uh, we don't want to set anybody up for failure and we don't, I don't want to make anybody feel like they're less than for not being able and ready to accept the help. Um, but I also don't want to excuse bad behavior for people who have been offered help and don't accept it either. Right. Right. It's, kind of, I, it's a really fine line to, to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said earlier, just a few seconds ago, circle back Saki to uh, the fact that you were talking about um, not everybody wants to talk about mental health and look at it as some sort of, uh, you know, with a negative connotation. There's something I've been working on with my audience here and as many people as I, I can because I believe that people want to associate mental health with mental illness. And I think those are two can be mutually exclusive if it's addressed correctly. Uh, so what I like to say is that we all have some sort of status of mental health, right? 100% of the population doesn't matter if you have a quote unquote diagnosed mental illness or not, we can all improve our mental health. And then if I can communicate that to Regular people that probably don't I say regular people shouldn't say that, you know, you know, people that don't probably uh, realize or associate themselves with mental illness. Now we can bring them into the fold a little bit better because we all have mental health, whether you believe it to be good or bad. It can be improved. It can be, um, you know, 
it can go down as well. But we all have some sort of status of mental health. And if we can reach out and we can get that message out there and say that, like, look, these are the things that we can do to help because what we're seeing in our justice system with mass incarceration is directly related to it. Uh, mental health is directly related to drug abuse. It's directly related to mass incarceration. And then on top of that, you add just a few more layers to it. And then you've got people on death row because of it. Yes. So before we move on to that, overwhelmingly people that are arrested and go to prison for longer sentences are men. So it's even more important for men to recognize what mental health is, what their mental health status is, whether or not yeah. they may have a mental illness that is affecting them and, and that they need help or what type of help that they need. Men are much more likely to commit violent crime and be arrested for violent crime. And they're also, I think, more likely to use drugs as well. So it's doubly important for men to be aware of all of those things and for you know, men to support each other, because I think that means so much to them. And I, I hesitate to speak on it too terribly much because I'm not a man and I've not had that, you know, type of life experience, but all the research that I've seen, you know, it's, it's a pretty well-known fact that, um, of the, of the incarcerated population, overwhelmingly the majority is men. So, it's definitely important for men to be aware of their mental health and any mental illness that they might have and to support other men that might be going through something too. No, no question. Uh, and I think personally, a lot of that is uh, the media for decades now telling men that they can't be soft and that they can't cry or that they can't communicate their feelings. And I'm not saying that those are all like, something that men deal with. I'm saying that that's something that the TV or the internet habitually tries to tell us is a wrong perspective where you can absolutely still be your alpha male type. I think you're more of an alpha male or, you know, a strong man when you're strong enough to say, Hey, look, I, I, I need your companionship right now. I need a bromance. I've always found some of the best mental health statuses of my life is when I had a, a healthy, steady, bromance to go along with it and um right. I, I know it's kind of weird to say with you just somebody that you relate to that you can check in with and that's right they understand you and you understand them and that means most of the time you've had similar life experience so typically it's going to be another guy that you're going to you know find the most common ground with um and i would argue that the media pushing that on men is a classic example of what is actually toxic masculinity. That is something that is a set of traits that was kind of forced onto men by the media and by society that is actually very harmful to men and by extension, very harmful to women, very harmful to their families because they are part of those family units with women and children. And if they're not healthy and they are having mental health issues and they inflict pain and trauma on people that are around them, it's typically their family unit. And that means, you know, their, their mother, their wife, their children, and that's a problem too. So yeah, it really I, does affect all of us. No, no question. I love that you went there because, you know, I live in a nuclear family. I've got a wife and three kids. And if I'm suffering, if I don't have an outlet other than who lives underneath this roof, my wife, my kids, if I don't have another man or group of men that I can talk to and speak to on a habitual basis, that's not going to be very healthy for me. 
And um, I, wow, I love what you said there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I just think that's super important and we can segue into the death penalty. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. I, 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 did, I did promise I was going to go off about that at some point. I, look, it just rolled out of there. I thought it was a perfect right there. So yeah, go ahead because I want to hear what you have to say. I'll tell you what I've said habitually is I do not, I, or I fully support the death penalty as long as it's not the state doing it. Now, if I pull up into a parking lot and I see you trying to snatch somebody's kid, I'm always carrying, you get the death penalty. Other than that, no, I'm completely against the death penalty. That's not the death penalty, though. The death, no, penalty, the death penalty is an after-the-fact type of policy. Right. So the death penalty doesn't exist in real time. That's self-defense or right. defense of another, not necessarily yourself, but another person who is incapable of defending themselves. So if you walk in on someone harming a child and you kill them and you go to trial and they basically just say, okay, bye. Like you did the right yeah. thing. What are we going to do? You know, you were acting in self, you were acting in defense of another. The death penalty is completely separate from that because it's an after the fact policy that exists. And there are just so many issues with it and so many ways for it to go wrong. It still baffles me that there are, actually libertarians who will argue in favor of the death penalty. Wow. I, I don't understand it. And, and I think it's because they can't separate those two things. They think, well, if somebody couldn't catch you in the act and do the deed at that moment, then you still deserve it. But to me, just because you recognize that someone deserves it to me, that's your humanity. You're recognizing right. that they've done something so horrendous that you feel in your heart that they can't coexist with other human beings without inflicting further harm on them. But what in actuality happens is that you end up with an extremely flawed system where you have, because you allow it at all, you allow a margin of error. So That's the true. margin of error is currently like 5%. When That's a lot. Human life. That's a really, really high margin of error. That's probably an understated it statistic. Is. I would say it's probably way more than that. I mean, the I government gets everything wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah, they, the verified figure is, I think, 5%. But I think people who are very more familiar with the, all of the statistics and the body of evidence than I am, uh, right. expert criminologists, for example, are estimating that that number is probably closer to between eight and 10%. Eight and 10. Okay. I was going to say 12 to 14. So I'm glad I didn't exasperate it, exasperate it too much. It, it depends like what kind of, it depends on what data you're looking at and what time period. I mean, that's crazy. It goes, it goes up the more recent data that comes out every time the data gets updated every year, a couple of years that percentage goes up. So that's not a really good trend. No, I know some states are against that. They don't have death penalty at all. Some of them's weird about it. And then some of them just have it, you know, full on. Uh, I did lead you on a little bit there. I'm sorry with that beginning. No, like okay. I support the death penalty. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't want the state pulling that crap off. Not once, not at all. If it goes to, if, it, if I don't catch you in the act and you, or we don't catch you in the act and it goes to trial, then that's it. Um, I think, and for some of this stuff, when we talk about some of these more heinous crimes, look, in my honest opinion, the death penalty is still life. That's a life and life 
prison and solitary and things like that. So, um, yeah, not right. a fan. Yeah, and there have been studies done about the the deterrent effect, the supposed deterrent effect of the death penalty on um, on people who commit homicide and other heinous crimes, and it it's really not a deterrent. the The thing that is the most the the most effective deterrent is really poor quality of life in prison. If people think they're going to prison and they're going to have a terrible quality of life, like if they were going to a labor camp instead of maximum security or something like that, that is more of a deterrent than saying we're going to stick a needle in your arm. That's pretty serious. That's Those are two totally different things. And for some reason, people just refuse to believe that. And I just, I don't know why. I don't get that either because I can explain, I've, you know, I've been to jail a bunch. I've got many people in my life that are multiple felons. I've had a pastor uh, who's also uh, been the director of a of a rehabilitation center. He's a multiple felon. He had like 200 years hanging over his head. He spent many days in ISO and uh, being in isolation and solitary confinement like that just for 48 hours or 72 hours can drive people to the brink. So I don't understand why they would think that it's a better uh, or a worse option for the criminal to just shove the needle in their arm and let them go to sleep. And now they don't have to deal with that pain anymore. That's crazy to me. And not only that, but there are many victims' families who advocate against the death penalty. And that's something that death penalty advocates don't want you to know. Death penalty, pro-death penalty legislators do not want you to know that there are literally organizations full of victims' family members, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, who do not want the death penalty to exist. Because they know, they've experienced, that it doesn't actually give them closure. Not at all. I mean, I didn't they have to go through that appeals process constantly to, that's, to was, jump through all of those hoops. So it's like a constant reopening of that wound. So that's not really closure for them. That's just prolonging their pain. Whereas if it's a life sentence without possibility of parole, they never have to go through that again. No, no that, yeah. That's beautiful. I'm going to, again, circle back, Saki, to what you just said a few seconds ago in that, uh, or a few minutes ago, that the death penalty isn't actually a deterrent. Well, yeah, because people just sit in, on death row for 30 years before something ever, what, what do they have to lose? They're, you know, they're, I'm sorry, well, I shouldn't say what do they have to lose. Mentally, but. mentally, they know they have an out. They're like, it sucks now, but I eventually have an out. Whereas if it's life in prison with no possibility of parole, there's no out. They don't get parole. They don't get the death penalty. They're, you know, if they're in their 30s or 40s, they're like, wow, I got 40 plus years of this to, to sit through, to, to live with. Because they're not going to kill me. Yeah. That's yep. way more of a deterrent than the death penalty. Much more. And to bring it back to... I love this topic right here. So um, if we were to take and remove all of the drug addicts from the prison mm -hmm. and we took the money that's required to fill those prisons with drug addicts and set that money towards better rehabilitative services. And then we filled our prisons with drug addicts, rapists and pedos that would need minimal funding. And that could actually make their situation even harder and tougher while they're going through that life without parole. 
But at the same time, I mean, it's a double win. I don't understand why we're not doing this. Uh, we're helping. We're actually helping people. Because it requires people to look at nonviolent criminals as human beings. The government has spent so much time convincing the general public that if you're a criminal, regardless of what crime it was, that you are less than, you are less than, you are not fully human. You must lack something. So you, you're, you're a criminal. So you are in a separate caste, basically, of society. You are a lesser human being. So the general public doesn't see criminals as actual people. They just see them as a criminal. And it doesn't matter if their crime was victimless or not victimless. They're still not seen as fully human. And that is, that, that is the whole purpose behind it. They are, again, separating people into groups and then kind of picking and choosing, you know, the winners and the losers. Well, this group of people isn't really human. And overwhelmingly, people that go to jail are minorities. They're people of color. They're men of color. Yeah. So the government has used the drug war and other victimless crimes that it frequently arrests men of color for and used it as an excuse to get the general public to see that, that class of people, that ethnicity and that gender of person as not really a human being. I love, go ahead. How much further away from that post-Civil War attitude of racism are we really? Because I don't think we're really as far removed from it as we would like to think that we are. Hard agree, especially on the fact that if you separate us as a human society versus what the government is actually doing, like you and me and my neighbor and my community, we don't think like that. We, we can remove most of the racism from our lives, but I don't think a lot of people understand how affected minority communities, uh, how affected that they are by the way our criminal justice operates on a daily basis every single hour of every single waking moment. When you look at laws that really, if you just have some money, you can pay your way out, but most of the money is not in some of these communities and I was not privy to that. So every time I ever got arrested, I just had to sit there because I didn't have the money to get myself out. Oh, we lost you for a second. I will say, I will say Elaine did say her internet was spotty sometimes. All right, you're back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, <laughs> sorry. Sometimes happens for no reason. It's the why. muddy waters curse. I never had tech difficulties until I joined up with them. Spike, uh, this is your fault, man. <laughs> I'll always blame it on Spike. I'm just kidding. I love that dude. There's Matt right there. Welcome to Muddy Waters. <laughs> it, it happens on my Monday night show too for some reason. I don't know why. It's just my computer's like, or our connection is just like after about 35 minutes, it's like, let me test her patience today. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's working with tech this is my life now and it's the bane of my existence but i'm learning trying to learn and right. so I, I wish we had like hours to talk about this because you've got me fired up right now this is a big deal for me from somebody who spent over a decade in 
drug and alcohol abuse and went to a rehab for 14 months, graduated, worked as a counselor to watch all of my many, many, many friends that I talk to habitually, some in the comment sections now, and they're multiple felons. Now they can't have guns. Now they can't do this all because of a justice system that was literally geared to target them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's geared to it's it's geared to make them permanently a second class citizen where you can't vote, you can't practice your right to self-defense. There's other things you can't do. It creates barriers to jobs, not to mention it removes you from society sometimes for such a long period that with the technological advancements that we have, if you went to jail in the 70s and you're getting out now, imagine the barriers that you would face trying to figure out how to use an iPhone, trying to figure out how to even apply for a job online, like any of that. Incredible. Like, and, and just imagine that. Imagine like online banking, paying your bills online. Like that is just a total, excuse my language, mind fuck for yeah, someone who's true. been in prison for that long to then, it, it's no wonder that, you know, they get out of prison and they go right back in because they just can't handle it. They can't adjust much like living a certain way for so long. And if you're a hermit or something like that, and um, there was actually, this is kind of unrelated, but it's, I'm a history buff. So I know this, there was a Japanese soldier who was literally hiding for like 40 years after world war two ended. He was hiding in the wilderness, killing random villagers every now and then because he thought the war wasn't over. And when they finally rescued him, rescued him from the, from the wilderness and brought him back to Tokyo, he basically went insane because he went from 1940s Japan, fast forward through time to like 19, late 1970s Japan. He didn't know how to cope. He couldn't cope. So if you think about that, but then think about the number of people in our criminal justice system that that occurs, that that happens to, and think of how fast tech advances now, like every five years, everything used five years ago is completely out of date. Like the wheel is spinning that much faster now. So you don't have to be gone for 40 years to be totally outclassed by tech. You could be gone for 10 and then all of a sudden have no idea what's clubhouse what's your your phone can read your fingerprint or your facial id and like unlock itself what is that yeah fingerprints all that right. yeah i mean it's crazy and something else you were talking about that i really loved and uh i'm sorry i just i it triggered a lot triggers the wrong word for 2021 but uh, it sparked a lot of what my brain goes I, down all different kinds of rabbit holes so i totally no. don't let me yours does the same thing yeah <laughs> it absolutely does. So um, when you what the government does and they're essentially the best at, the only thing that they're good at is dehumanizing people and using collectivism to do that. These group of this group of people is terrible. This is a good group of people. They're picking winners or and losers psychologically first and then actually following through with with dehumanization and that collectivism is such a cancer. It just drives my gears i cannot stand i wish we looked at every single person as individuals if we could do that then we could find that unity in order to remove repeal some of these laws that i know people like you and other states are vastly 
doing everything that they can to work towards. I mean, it's just incredible. Thank you. I'm not doing nearly as much as I feel like I could or should, but that's why I I really resonate with people like Justin Amash who talk about, you can't have Liberty without having compassion because if you can't solve these really hard issues by having compassion for people that it affects, then you're never going to get anywhere. You're never actually going to have Liberty. Yeah. Um, something that I said on Spike's show, or not Spike's show, when he came on earlier this week, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, something that I've said a lot, and I'm pretty proud of this phrase that I came up with it, but it's uh, empathy and compassion are vehicles needed to drive the unity in order to fight the state. Because if, we, if we're going to fight the state, we have to be a unified people. The only way that we can be a unified people is through compassion and empathy. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, we have to do it together. There's no other way. If you, if you try to go at it in a lone wolf, they call you the lone wolf. They label you as an extremist and that's it. But the founding fathers were extremists too. They were just all on the same page with what needed to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. We've got to get on the same page and it's people like you. It's people like Justin. It's people like Spike. Uh, in the liberty movement that's causing these waves outside of the libertarian party. That's why I like the libertarian or the liberty movement because it resonates with people outside of our party and then we can draw them into the fold and then we have the unification needed to actually affect the changes necessary to remove some of these tyrannical laws. I believe they're tyrannical. Probably somebody's going to debate me in the comments about the definition of tyranny, but Mm -hmm. when you're absolutely smothering and suffocating demographics of the society and individuals, to me, it's just a new form of tyranny. It's, it's true. It is. And something we haven't even touched on, is the fact that if you can solve the mass incarceration problem and you have less people incarcerated, period, you have less people living off of taxpayers in perpetuity. Like the government has created the need to tax you more by saying these dangerous criminals must be locked up when there's a whole bunch of them that aren't dangerous criminals at all. They're just people that are in a lot of pain. And if we fix that pain and kept them from, you know, continuing down a path of maybe using hard drugs or um, being involved in, in gang activity that leads to violent crime, then you actually solve the problem for a lot of people and you keep them out of the criminal justice system because putting somebody through rehab once or even twice is a whole lot cheaper than locking them up for 30 years. Absolutely. And the recidivism rate drops tremendously. Yes, rehabs do have a high recidivism rate. There's nothing like that what they have in prison, though. I mean, it's I I want uh, I like this comment here by I'm going to butcher this tagline insano flex. Uh, As a former corrections officer, I will tell you, at least in my experience, recidivism is the lifeblood of the correctional system. Prisoners are a human cash crop which is why it's important for them to be classed as something not fully human because then society in general doesn't feel so bad about that. We kind of absolve ourselves of any guilt. That's what that is. I mean, look, that's what, uh, I feel like that's what socialism really truly is. It's like, I don't have, and and I'm probably getting socialism wrong, but you you know, government dependence and government handout on an extreme level of, 
I don't have to actually go out and do anything in my community. Excuse me. <clears throat> I can just pay more taxes and have them do it for me. Yes. And now I don't have to feel bad about it. I don't really care that those people are struggling out there. Let's just make people pay more money. And now I feel better about my own virtue signaling when in fact, you're not doing anything at all to help your community, making it worse. Right. If you truly care, you will take it upon yourself to do something in your community or you will outsource it to someone else. (laughs) The only only reason that anybody who is pro gun control has an argument is because they have accepted that they are totally okay with outsourcing their own self-defense to a police department. I'm stealing that. Someone else has said that before way more eloquently than I have. I just can't remember who it is at the moment. No, I doubt it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm absolutely stealing that. Um, when you're too lazy to want to go do it yourself, you just outsource the the uh, you just the jobs. Defense to a police officer. That's yeah. it. that's all it is. And then they don't show up in time anyway. No, hardly ever. Or if if ever, sometimes never. They won't even show up. Here's something you were talking about as well from Matt. My buddy's mom got out of jail after 15 years, a few years ago, and she needed ex- explanations on what everything was. She didn't know what Facebook was. She didn't know what vaping was. She didn't know what Netflix was. She had to relearn the world again. I mean, just mm-hmm. example after example. That. I can't. Me either. I didn't even think about that till you said that just now. Like, wow, think about somebody that's been in prison for the last. Mm-hmm. 30 years or 20 years, right? It's 2021. Let's say they went to prison when I graduated high school, 2001. I didn't even have, I didn't, mm-hmm. but just started coming out with Nokia cell phones. Right. Yeah. I mean, you still have the, the old fashioned Blackberries that actually have yeah. the keyboard on them, or you had to push your phone's number button like two or three times to get to the letter that you wanted. And now your phone is so intuitive. You can literally talk to it and it gives you what you need. And having to relearn everything about society from the ground up, literally from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Because it's changed that fast. And it's only going to get worse or not worse, better. However you want to look at it, it's going to get more extreme and it's going to get more fast um, on a daily basis. going to continue evolving that much faster like imagine telling someone that's been in prison for 20 years what that that we don't do nasa anymore but elon musk is taking care of our space exploration (laughs) what i mean they have a prison so they probably know those things but it's like imagine if they didn't that's literally the leap that you're making yeah uh and Wow. I, I'm glad you pointed that out. I, I really hope that that really opens up people to how we need to move this change. I tell the, I tell people this story all the time. And they're like, well, it's just you or it's just me. How are we ever going to affect anything? Well, let me tell you a story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham is one the greatest in, in the world's eyes, the greatest evangelist to ever walk the earth. That guy went to a tent revival when he was nine and changed the world after that. You never know who you're talking to. You never know who you're advocating change for. You never know what kind of heart that you're going to touch. So spread it, spread the message. What can we do to help get your voice out there more? How do we get you supported? What do we do to help you? Because you are absolutely brilliant. Everybody knows that, but you know, I'm going to say it anyway. So what do we do to help you? 
You're welcome. <laughs> um, I wish I could make more time to write about these things. And it's just been really, really hard for the last several months for me to do that. Um, just cause I'm busy. And if you want to keep track of all of the things that I'm doing or saying or whatever, just follow me on Twitter, uh, follow me on Facebook. In my Twitter bio, there is a list of links on a link tree of podcasts and different things that I've been part of, um, projects that I'm doing, my Substack, which I don't write in nearly as often as I should. Um, and I have been working for, gosh, since like February on an article about generational trauma and the criminal justice system. And I it's awesome. really need to find time to finish it. So it's, it's just, I'm so afraid of getting it wrong. And I'm being hmm. such a perfectionist about it that it's literally taking me months to dig through all the data. So if you really want to help this particular issue, find a community-based mental health organization and start volunteering for them. Just, just start. I mean, you could just even offer to man suicide hotline phones for a night, one night a month or hmm. one night every six months and you're helping someone. So do stuff like that. Don't shy away from talking to people who've had different life experiences than you, who've had more, more difficult life experiences than you, because you're not better than them. Hmm. You're just different and you can help them and they could help you. Um, and actually the, the catalyst for me thinking of things in this way was a couple of years ago, I came into contact with a man who had been to prison for committing a crime because he was a hard drug user and he was an addict and he was just struggling and he worked odd jobs. And I met him over the course of him working one of those odd jobs. And not two weeks after I sat down and had a conversation with him, the first real conversation I'd had with him other than kind of how, hi, how you doing? What are you up to today? You know, Oh yeah, I'm good. What are you up to today? Kind of things like while we were at work, I sat down and had a conversation with him about his experience having been in prison. And not two weeks after that, someone in his life accused him of committing another crime. And in order to avoid going back to jail, he committed suicide. And I have never let go of that, that conversation I had with him about what it was like for him. And that has really, that was really when I started thinking about criminal justice and mental health as being a whole lot more interconnected than I ever had before. And I think all of us need to explore those connections and figure out how we can, how we can change those preconceived notions that we have of other people and how we can help people who are in pain. Yeah. That's incredible. I, I thank you for that story. I know that that brings up a lot of emotions. Uh, I can tell. And but you know what? That just shows your passion for this. That shows your drive. That shows your heart. More people need to see that. Um, and and we as individuals need to pick up some of the mantle like you are right here. And I wow, that's incredible. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm loving it. That that's just amazing. I know that that's a hard story for you. I've had suicide in my life many times. Um, never liked that story, and I've never 
done what you've done following it. And I hope that everybody in the comments right now, everybody watching is just as inspired as I am because you said you wish you could do more, but I wish I could just fill half of your shoes or Justin's or Spike's or, I mean, look, we need y'all and we need every word that y'all have to say. And so whatever I can do to get more of you out there, whatever I can do to get more of them out there, just let me know. I want to help. I mean, that's incredible. You're, you're, you're striking something that's very close to me as well. Something I spent a lot of years dealing with them. I've never heard it put like that. And that's absolutely amazing. Um, I hope it resonated with everybody, but again, if you want to help, just find a community-based organization, a nonprofit, your church group, anything, prison outreach program, and just join it. Just get involved. Even just join their mailing list and kind of figure out, you know, what, what they're actually doing and just use it as an educational tool for yourself so that you can have more of these conversations with people in your life that you know to just change more hearts and minds, really. That's that's the goal here, because if we can change the hearts and minds and we can change the laws that are causing these issues um, that are obviously so very personal to each and every one of us. Right. Yeah. And so, wow, you're great. Thank you so much. Um, I will talk to you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Absolutely. Even though you were scheduled on me for a camping trip. No problem. <laughs> I'm kidding. I had to give you a little crap for it. I'm sorry. No, it's totally okay. You're very busy and for good reason too. You are absolutely trailblazing. I keep using the adjective, but it's fitting. It's fitting. So please don't stop. All gas, no brakes. Um, anything you want to add real quick before we jump into Clubhouse? No, I'm just... I'm going to go back through the comments because I haven't, I have to like balance my phone and the camera. I don't want to be like looking down half the time watching the comments. So I'll go back through the comments yeah. and try to answer any questions or respond to people as I can. And um, if you guys want to join us in clubhouse afterwards, you can ask your questions live. We can, you know, expound upon this conversation. It's a super important conversation, I think. So I'm really happy to have the opportunity to share it with other people. Yeah, yeah, and we can't thank you enough for being here. I actually turned the comments off on my end so that I wouldn't get distracted because they will distract me. And I really wanted to hear what you have to say because I I didn't know that this was a, such a big deal for you and I knew it was such a big deal for me. So when you, when we were talking in DMs and you said that, I was like, oh my God, yes, please, thank you. And so Patricia says another phenomenal guest. I mean, yeah, of course, that is incredible Malik such a great conversation the subject is so so messy when you step out of the echo chamber but these are great points yeah yeah so thank you Elaine absolutely incredible we'll get to y'all's comments we're going to jump in clubhouse now and uh, thank you so much this is incredible thank you I'm really glad that you wanted to have this conversation because it yeah. is a difficult one so I'm and I wasn't aware of your background either. So I, it's yeah. cool that it just worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't believe in a bunch of accidents or uh, yeah. Coincidences. What are they? Right. They're not mistakes or happy accidents. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. Uh, I will talk to you in clubhouse in a minute. I will see you in clubhouse in a minute. Bye guys. Hey, bye. Wow. Incredible conversation. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I'm just again, amazed at the the people that are coming on this show to come talk to me, to come talk with y'all. And the things that we're able to touch on like this, where 
you can see the emotion, you can see the passion, you can see the drive and the connection that you can have that we're that like Elaine is having on an individual basis, on an individual level. We need every one of y'all's voices out there. Every person that's here, we need you to have one conversation a day or like she said, volunteer for that suicide hotline once a week, whatever we got to do to um, put boots on the ground to trailblaze. This stuff is super important. We're talking about human lives here. I care a bunch. I know a lot of people say, "Ah, I just don't like people. I love people. I love people. I love each and every one of y'all. I love talking with people. I love talking to people like Elaine who can inspire us to be better human beings. Because if I'm a better human being, I can treat my neighbor like a better human being. And then we can have a conversation about how we can get these clowns out of our lives. Clowns as being government, right? So thank you very much. Uh, real quick, I'll drop the links on here before my team jumps down my throat over the interwebs. PayPal, Cajun Libertarian, that's mine. Um, I really don't want to focus on, on my fundraising. I raise all I need to get to, to Tunica for the week. And so what I really want to focus on is in the comments, donate to the GoFundMe page for to have Muddy Waters crew out to Tunica. Donate uh, money to Mercy House Team Challenge so that we can get them more canned goods, toiletries, pay the light bills, all that stuff that they have to pay to keep a bunch of – they've got about 45 students there um, just at that Mercy House Team Challenge right here in Jackson. That most people don't have to pay a single penny, but you know what? Lights got to be kept on. Food's got to be served. Water's got to be on. Construction has to be done. So get into the comments, donate, please. Um, there's going to be an opportunity for me to give an address here soon to where if you don't want to donate money, you can just send canned goods and toiletries. And so super, super, super important. Um, I don't know what else to talk about. I don't want to say anything else. So I love y'all very much. I will see y'all tomorrow night uh, at the regular, regularly scheduled Cajun time and the same Cajun channel. I love y'all.